and welcome back to the Man Cave. I am your host, Devin Jennings. My fellow Steelers fans, I have mixed feelings about the game on Sunday. Usually what I would do is, before a game starts, I would grab a notebook and a pencil, and during the entire game, I would jot down little notes and my thoughts for the podcast when I record. But the first half of the game on Sunday, I had no notes or anything. And how exactly could I? Because our offense was doing okay. The offensive line, they gave... The offensive line did a great job opening space for Najee and others to run the ball. Ben was making good decisions throwing. And our defense... They held them basically the entire half, only holding them to 18 rushing yards in the first half. So at the start of halftime, I started putting away my notebook, started packing my bag because uh, I thought this was going to be just an easy win. Just seeing how well that our team dominated the Seahawks in the first half. But then the second half started. And after noticing how easily Alex Collins like ran through our defense, that gave me the idea of, uh, let me pull pull out this notebook and pencil again. They came from the first half, only rushing for 18 yards. Then in the second half, rushing for 129 yards. That's a huge difference. I mean, overall, we did win the game, but it was just a roller coaster of emotions in that second half. Overall, I did see a huge improvement in our team offensively our offensive line had a pretty good game they created gaps when they could Najee rushed for over 80 yards but one thing that we need to understand is we're we're not going to expect Najee to get 100 yard rushing games every single time Ben Roethlisberger he had a good game I believe he is beyond his pectoral injury now because I notice he keeps making better accurate throws. And also his decision making seems to be getting better as the season goes along. To be honest, I really thought with Juju Smith-Schuster's shoulder injury that we were going to see a big notice in our wide receiving core. But actually, those guys held up pretty well without Juju. It's obvious to see that Deontay Johnson is going to be Ben's deep threat wide receiver. And you know, all the other guys, they're doing their thing on offense as well. But something that I really liked was Matt Canada still using Juju Smith-Schuster's plays, but only with different players. For example, the jet sweeps that they used to have Juju run, and that's how he scored a touchdown against Denver. On Sunday, they had Deontay Johnson run one, and he basically got down to the 10-yard line. And tight end Eric Ebron ran a jet sweep, and that got him a touchdown. So I think this offense will be okay without Juju. Defensively, hold on, let me say this right now. I understand Pittsburgh has a tradition of waiting until after the season, talk about contracts and extensions and things of that nature. But when you have a star player on your team, i.e. TJ motherfucking Watt, you should think to yourself that, you know what, maybe we should break tradition 
get in that office and work something out because he can go out there and make plays like he did on Sunday. He didn't just save us once in overtime. He saved us twice. Noting Seattle first drive in overtime where he sacked Geno Smith out of field goal range, punting the ball back to us. And his strip sack fumble setting us up basically on the 15-yard line where Chris Boswell kicked a game-winning field goal. Reasons like that is why you pay that man his money. But anyways, the rest of the defense played a pretty good game. Cameron Hayward is once again a motherfucking dog. He really bullied both of Seattle's guards and his and their center. Our linebackers, they had a pretty good game as well. They stuffed runs when they had to, and they covered when they had to as well. Our secondary, by far, improved the most. Trey Norwood, unbelievable game. Multiple different pass breakups on third downs. And James Pierre making a few tackles here and there as well. The secondary also did a good job locking down Seattle's top two receivers, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, for a combined only eight receptions. So overall, they played a good game, minus a bad second half, which I don't think that would happen again. Like Mike Tomlin said, this is a big win for the team, and they'll take this moving forward. Now moving on to some other games that were going on on Sunday, I was once again bamboozled. Saturday night, I was thinking that Justin Herbert and the Chargers would go into Baltimore and stun Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. But once again, I was wrong. And I was even more wrong now than what I was last week because they only put up six points. I mean, at least the Colts, they went into overtime with them. Something that I noticed from this game was this time... It was more more so the team helping out Lamar than Lamar carrying the team. We all have noticed the past couple of weeks since all those injuries to their running backs and in their secondary that Lamar, he had to make a few plays here and there for their team to win. Sunday, it looked like Lamar didn't have to make all the plays that he usually had to make for their team to win. But my one takeaway from this game is we can't send little boys to go do a man's job. I.e., instead of hoping all these young quarterbacks go beat Lamar Jackson, Ben and company might have to take a little trip to Baltimore and beat them so we can get back into this AFC North race. Now that I got all of that out of my system, let's talk about my week seven picks, starting with the Thursday night game between the Denver Broncos and the Cleveland Browns. Last Sunday... The Browns, they had a very alarming amount of injuries. As I am recording this podcast now, I just got the notification that Baker Mayfield is officially out for Thursday's game. And backup quarterback Case Keenum will be starting. Along with Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, and Jarvis Landry are all out of the game as well. Odell Beckham, right now he's questionable. He did suffer a shoulder injury that he's kind of been nursing for a while but I think he might be able to go and hopefully he can because Case Keenum gonna need all the help he can get okay this just might be the battle of the backup quarterbacks because I'm looking at Denver's 
injury report, and Teddy Bridgewater's questionable to play, no offense. Jerry Judy's out. It's just, and KJ Hamler's out as well. It's, it's going to be a backup QB battle. This is going to be the battle of the backup QBs. Personally, I think this is going to come down to who can make the most plays, Miles Garrett or Von Miller. This will definitely be a low-scoring game, but just because I need the Browns to lose, I am going to pick the Broncos to beat the Browns. Moving on from Cleveland, let's travel down to Baltimore as the Ravens host the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm tired. I really am tired of picking these teams to beat Lamar and the Ravens, and then they just end up failing me. So this time, I'm going to do something different. Now, I know usually I think about injuries, points scored, blah, 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 in determining who is going to beat who. But this time around, I'm going to say that the Ravens will beat the Bengals, thinking that the Bengals are going to turn around and beat the Ravens for me. Now, I know that isn't a good way to pick who is going to win a game, but I'm desperate at this point. And rounding out my week seven picks, we got to talk about the Monday night game between the Saints and the Seahawks. With Russell Wilson still planning on being out a few more weeks, Geno Smith will be the starter for this Monday night game. Um, hmm, this is a hard one. But I think as long as the Saints defense can stand against Geno Smith in the offense, I think the Saints could could sneak out a win in Seattle. Now, at this part of the show, I usually do a my bad bro, and they are sometimes really good or sometimes they are silly, this, that, and the other. But I will be damned if I didn't take this time to talk about the sham of a Jersey retirement that Washington held for Sean Taylor and his family. For those of you who did not know, Sunday, Washington held a Jersey retirement ceremony for Sean Taylor and his family during the Washington versus Chiefs game. I am not saying that he shouldn't have his number retired. I think they should have done it a very long time ago. But the way they went about it and some of the things they did and did not do were disgusting. For starters, Washington dedicated a road to Sean Taylor's name. But as the family was taking pictures by the Sean Taylor sign where the, where the road begins, behind the family you could see a bunch of porta potties. Yes, porta potties, the mobile bathrooms you can set up literally anywhere. Now, I'm not the smartest man in the world, and I will never try to act like I am the smartest man in the world. But if I am dedicating a road that have ever played in our organization, the last thing I would want to see is a fat guy coming out of a porta potty with toilet paper at the bottom of his shoe. Secondly, when you retire a player's number, of course you would see that player's number somewhere posted along the field. And when you put that player's number somewhere on the field, it's somewhere where everyone can see and nobody will ever go and touch step one whatsoever. But for some reason, the Washington organization put Sean's Taylor number where the VIP, in the VIP section. So during the entire time of pregame and half times and after the game, there were multiple 
VIP stepping all over Sean Taylor's 21. Noting the Jackson Mahomes dance that he is currently getting grilled for. And lastly, halftime. When they presented Sean Taylor's jersey and his family came onto the field, there were no tributes, there were no speeches whatsoever from the Washington organization. According to them, that they had this event planned for months. If you had this event planned for months, why didn't no one have a speech ready? This leads me to believe that this wasn't really about Sean Taylor. This was more of a PR stunt so that Washington can look somewhat better during the investigations going on into their organization. So the only thing I have left to say is, shame on you, Washington organization, for using Sean Taylor and his family as a PR stunt just to make y'all look good. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of The Man Cave with Devin Jennings. As a sports communication student, I wanted to make my own experience for my resume, and this podcast is part of that effort. Every listen supports me, so please share and feel free to leave a review of the show. This podcast was written and hosted by me, Devin Jennings, and produced by myself and Roderick Bishop. Again, thank you all for listening and have a great week.